Thank you for joining the Georgia Chamber podcast. For 105 years, we have been the leading voice of business in the state of Georgia. Through these podcasts, we want to help you better understand the issues facing our state and how your business can grow and prosper. Thanks for joining us. To learn more, go to www.gachamber.com. Joining us today, I'm Chris Clark, President and CEO of the Georgia Chamber of Commerce. I want to welcome you to another one of our COVID-19 Resource and Recovery Town Halls. Today we have uh, U.S. Senator Kelly Leffler with us, and as always, we're joined by the Georgia Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, Santiago Marquez, our good friends and affiliate. I want to remind you that uh, we're updating the gachamber.com slash COVID-19 Resource and Recovery webpage. We will be posting later today or tomorrow some best practices uh, about reopening your business. Uh, lessons learned there. Also, want to tell you about our upcoming town halls. We have one scheduled with the EPD administrator on Tuesday of next week out of Washington. And then next Thursday, we'll have Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan join us uh, to talk about uh, the activities happening as the Georgia General Assembly starts their committee meetings back. Um, also, uh, over the next two weeks, we will start our recovery and resiliency roundtables where you'll be able to hear from industry experts uh, in a variety of fields talking about the impact of their companies, their industry sectors, how they're reopening, and what the long-term prospects and outlooks, outlook looks like for them. Uh, and so you'll see those promotions start coming through your social media channels here in the next couple of weeks. So continue to follow us on all of those. So we want to jump right in today. Uh, Senator, it seemed like a lifetime ago when we had you on one of our very first calls to talk about the activities that were happening at the U.S. Senate. Um, I can't tell you how much we appreciate the work you've done up there over the last several weeks, and it's been refreshing knowing that we actually have two business people uh, in the role of junior and senior U.S. Senator up there as we start moving now through what's going to be a, a, a difficult economic downturn and potentially a recession. So, we look forward to hearing kind of your update today and then Santiago and I have questions from our members uh, that we'll ask you after that. So Senator, thanks for being with us. Uh, we appreciate the update. Great. Well, thank you so much, Chris. Thank you, Santiago, for hosting me and thank you all for joining. Uh, I know these are incredibly busy times as we start to think about what the new normal is. And, and I really commend the work of the Georgia Chamber in helping uh, start to chart that path. I mean, we are in uncharted territory here. And as you said, it, it feels like a lifetime ago that we got together last, last time under very different circumstances. None of us could have imagined as we entered 2020 with the economy booming and, and things uh, continuing to uh, lift, you know, the, the economic opportunities lifting up all Americans, uh, that we'd be where we are today. So 33 million jobs lost cumulatively in the last seven weeks. Uh, you know, unemployment uh, to me is is one of the, the biggest economic challenges that we're going to face. Certainly, dealing with the health health issues that that come out of this virus are dramatic. I literally just stepped out of the Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Com Senate Committee meeting. Uh, I'm on uh, the the Health Committee uh, with the Senate, and we're talking about this. Uh, rapid acceleration of diagnostics testing. And so what we've seen is this tremendous public-private partnership that's happening to address the virus on the, on the health side. And so what I wanted to talk to you was um, about was what I'm doing on the economic side because I'm very encouraged 
at the resources that the United States brings to bear. Uh, this virus did not start here, but it, I believe it will be solved here. And I uh, come out of this hearing that is currently going on for those that want to follow along later on C-SPAN. Uh, so we have uh, some of the world's preeminent experts working on this, uh, both public and private sector. And, and I just really have to commend the private sector here for really so much collaboration, sharing of ideas, and, and trying to accelerate this. And we are accelerating. It's the biggest scientific effort that we have seen in recent history. And I think so much is happening to all of us at this time. Like It's hard to realize everything that's happening. But I think it's vitally important. And, and I view that as my role as a leader in taking on the economic side of that equation, knowing that the health side is in, in good hands. And so in um, last month, I was appointed to the president's uh, congressional task force to reopen America. And I take that very seriously, um, as I obviously do my role as, as a US Senator for Georgia. I think it's critical that we start to think about how we move forward as an economy, as a society, because we don't have those diagnostics. We're working on testing, we're working on uh, 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 treating it, we're working on vaccines, but we don't have 100% of what we need right now. We're getting there rapidly. Seven million tests in the United States have been administered more than any other country. Um, we're ramping up to having availability of two million tests a week, going much higher, and then serology tests or antibody testing will come uh, very quickly, as early as June, where we're going to have somewhat of a, a almost unlimited ability to do serology tests over the summer. Uh, so importantly, turning to the economic side, because we see the destruction in our economy happening in real time. So as I started thinking about, you know, I spent much of March working with hospitals, uh, farmers, small businesses to deliver the relief under the CARES Act, to develop the CARES Act. I contributed significantly in the healthcare area and small business. But then as I started to turn into, into April and looking at the delivery, the gaps that, that kind of came about in looking at the relief that we provided, I decided that, that having a plan would help us address this methodically, just as I did in, in the private sector. So our goal is to, to restore the con economy I dubbed my plan the, uh, the RISE plan, which is restoring and igniting the strength of our economy. And it has four pillars. So I'll walk you through kind of how I arrived at these pillars and what they might mean. And then, of course, want to get to your questions. So I promise not to, to delve too deeply, but I do want to touch on some areas that might spur some questions. So um, the four pillars, uh, the first of the four is made in the USA. And um, that really revolves around America's strength. Like we should be the best place in the world to do business. We are, we should come out of this even stronger. And we have those opportunities in many areas. First of all, supply chain. It's very evident that we have dependencies in our supply chain that we need to think twice about. And providing those incentives, whether it's tax incentives, investment incentives, to invest in America, that will not only strengthen our, the integrity of our supply chains, it will also help grow jobs here. Um, we have a tremendous opportunity uh, with, with that with regard to manufacturing. Uh, we also have that opportunity to look at where we can uh, spend 
target in, in a targeted manner on infrastructure. We can't have a first world economy with a third world infrastructure. And we're blessed to have a very strong infrastructure in America, but we can see in our own state, the strength of our infrastructure, the port, I mean, it's incredible what the port, having strong infrastructure, transportation, rail, trucking has done to spur economic growth. If I think about something like Kia coming to Georgia, spurring that investment, 3,000 jobs created there, but then another 10,000 across the state, thanks to the strength of, of attracting manufacturing and then having the infrastructure to leverage our port, our uh, road infrastructure, and then the job creation around parts manufacturers that come up. So that's just critical. So I think Made in the USA is a tremendous opportunity for us as a country um, there's other, uh, you know, smaller things that um, I think employers appreciate, but um, sometimes um, maybe aren't appreciated more broadly. But the payroll tax, uh, you know, relief for employers, being able to put those resources into hiring and capital investment. Uh, I know that the payroll tax relief uh, means a lot to people. I've heard multiple stories, whether it's a startup or a Fortune 500, say. I was able to buy more capital equipment. I was able to hire more with this relief. So I think we need to continue that. Uh, also lowering the corporate tax rate. We, we still have work to do there. We've made good progress. We can do better. Uh, I think we should, even if it's um, somewhat temporary in nature. We've got to do everything we can to make sure that we're spurring uh, employment. And um, I hope I'm wrong about the impact this has, but it feels like in Washington, there's a sense that you flip a switch and the economy comes back on. I've been talking with uh, Secretary Mnuchin, uh, Chairman Jay Powell of the Federal Reserve, former uh, Treasury Secretary Paulson. I, I fear that there is real damage that if we don't act quickly and decisively and at scale, that this won't be sufficient and that we'll need more of the government's involvement, which is exactly what we're all trying to limit, to push uh, the, the response to, to the strengthening free enterprise. So, so made in the USA is huge and making sure our tax environment's very competitive. The second one is grown in the USA. And uh, not only, but you know, importantly, is agriculture the number one industry in our state, but in America, I always like to say 2% of us are farmers. I was born and raised on a farm. My first job was working in the, the soybean fields and my parents made me fill out a time card so I could see what it took to earn a dollar. And, but 2% of us are farmers, 100% of us eat. Um, and we also provide vital exports to feed the world. Uh, so this is where America's strength uh, can, needs to be supported. We need to do everything we can. We're seeing the challenges in supply chains right now. Never uh, in my lifetime have we had rationed supplies of meat. When you go to the deli counter and order a pound of ground chuck or sirloin, it's uh, one pound per person, maybe two pounds, depending on the cut or, or the, the, the meat that you're selecting. I've never seen that. It greatly worries me, not just for the, the limited supply, but for families that might be being priced out of certain protein markets where those prices go up and it no longer fits in the family budget. Importantly for our farmers, they've been dealing with uh, natural disasters, uh, prices of commodities that are below the cost of production. 
this COVID uh, virus has resulted in supply chains being disrupted so that industrial food uh, systems that push food out to restaurants and schools are no longer needed, but the individual packaging for grocery stores where demand has exploded isn't adjusting. So I've spoken with Secretary Purdue. I know he's very focused on this, but I am gonna keep fighting for Georgia's farmers and for all farmers, frankly, because as a country, this is a time when we need to recognize that food security is national security. Um, the third component is, uh, is what I call hiring in the USA. And this has much to do uh, with small businesses, but also large businesses. And what's coming to the fore right now is the fact that the president was able to reduce the regulatory burdens on, on businesses, on agencies, and to spur this innovation to get diagnostics, uh, testing, and other um, treatments to market quickly. We can see that when the federal government reduces bureaucracy and red tape, we can solve problems and we can conduct business a lot more quickly. So that's one thing, reduce regulation, keep regulation low, keep business um, within, you know, having certainty around what those regulations are. Um, having stepped out of the private sector just four months ago, I know that regulatory uncertainty is, is almost as bad as customer uncertainty or market uncertainty. It's, it can really hamstring your operations. The other side of the equation of that is limited litigation. And what we're seeing, if you've seen this on TV already, trial lawyers, uh, the plaintiff's bar lining up to say, hey, did you get a COVID-related illness? You know, sue your employer, sue your school, sue your landlord. They are lining up uh, to, to take down businesses and to put uh, that cost on those that of you that are creating jobs. So that's a, that's a real risk. And then also I think for each of these I should mention, but particularly this one, we need to look at the CARES Act and CARES 3.5, as they term the additional 310 billion that was added to the SBA for the total of uh, 660 billion in relief. We need to look at this and say, are we extracting and directing this to its best use? We need to keep evaluating it before we rush into some type of version four bill, because there's uh, three, upwards of $3 trillion of relief there. How are we aiming that at employers, at solving the problems that we have today. And I think that will spur hiring, make sure it's very targeted. One of the things that I was um, speaking with Chairman Powell um, of the Federal Reserve about was the fact that the Fed stepped in, used the powers that tr Treasury uh, granted it under the Exchange Stabilization Fund, the 13-3 powers that had not been used since the 2008-2009 crisis, they shored up the, the fixed income, the bond market. And as a result, Boeing, for example, no longer had to use the government funding. They were able to tap the resources available in the private, the, the bond market. You know, they, they were able to raise capital, raise debt in the public markets and not rely on the government bailout. So there are things that, that Treasury and the Fed have worked to do in a very low cost uh, manner to taxpayers while still providing that relief. So we need to keep looking at that. The last one that I'll mention, and, and as, as important as any of these, is families in the USA. I think we've all seen and heard stories about the societal impact of this virus, of the lockdowns, of the, the fear, the loss of life, 
that have impacted all families. And whether it's the isolation, depression, suicide rates that are going up, domestic violence. I was talking to one of our um, law enforcement officials. The spike in domestic abuse uh, is really tragic. Child abuse. Um, we need to be able to uh, protect the most vulnerable in these situations, those that have been disproportionately affected and then have the least resources to be able to respond. So it's making sure that things like YMCA, which is providing hundreds of thousands of meals across Georgia, our faith-based uh, institutions are able to operate um, and at a time when they are needed most, but their funding is being dramatically impacted. And so we need to have an open dialogue about the societal impacts of this while keeping uh, the protections for the most vulnerable. So um, I'll just kind of pause there because I do want to hear your questions and I'm happy to talk about, you know, anything, but um, please, uh, Chris, I'll, let you, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Senator. That, that was great. And I think Santiago had that on our, one of our top questions was to better understand the RISE Act. And I think you've done a great job of talking us through that. Uh, Santiago, I'll, I'll start with you and let you ask a question and I'll, I'll work through some on my list. Okay, sorry, it took me a while to unmute there. Yeah, thank you, very thorough. Thank you, Senator. And thank you for being uh, with us today and giving us your time. Um, my question is uh, around Senator Perdue's uh, bill that he's introducing uh, in terms of the, um, the, the, sorry, the workers, the, uh, the medical workers, the immigration bill that he's, are, are, is that something that you are working with him on? Or um, I know it's a little bit off topic of what we talked about, but you know, I know it's something that's of, of, of concern for our community. So um, produce a bill about immigration and the, the medical workers. Can you, can you tell us uh, about that? Yeah, so what I've done is, um, this is an issue that, that my staff and I talked about very early on, and we have written uh, early on, I think Senator Perdue and I signed on to the same letter to support um, that ability for um, the expansion of our, of our medical workers. And these areas of opportunity for us to leverage um, the best parts of what, what we can do uh, to support our uh, economy to to bring in those that have that skill set it's just absolutely vital and uh, I really commend uh, Senator Purdue for his for his leadership here and um, you know being on the health committee I think looking at all areas and just coming out of this hearing today how do we think differently how do we shift mindsets how do we look at at what the right uh, responses to help immediately and not get this tied up in bureaucracy either. This has been another challenge uh, on that very topic is, um, you know, not understanding where the hold, where the holdups are and getting um, that uh, potential to, to be a part of the, the response and, and the, the answer. So I have one more. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Santiago. Go ahead and follow Talking about, uh, a, I'm sorry, different topic here, Senator, but you talked about farms, and I appreciate the fact that you grew up in a farm. Um, you know, Georgia, agriculture is still the number one industry here, right? And, and we rely heavily on, on migrant workers. Um, do we have enough, uh, you know, workers right now working uh, in the farms? Um, have we done what we needed to do in, to make sure that the migrant workers can, can come in 
um, and and do the work and help us get our food, especially with the supply chain issues that we're having with, with food shortages. Well, I'm glad you asked that question as well, because this was something I was working on even before COVID hit. The, no, the Georgia farmers did not have what they needed. And again, the bureaucracy of the, the, the programs that were in place, um, I was talking to fruit and vegetable growers, um, the, um, the lack of clarity around certain uh, provisions, even if it was passed under the rules, uh, people didn't understand the programs and, and workers that had been verified and validated couldn't get in. Then when they got here, they should have been able to get a valid driver's license. They couldn't get a valid driver's license. So we were looking at all these issues. And so very early uh, in the COVID outbreak, we started to see even more stress on that system, uh, wrote a letter to Secretary Purdue and was able to get uh, some of the wait times reduced and get people in. Obviously, there's been a lot of challenges with the harvest and the planting recently because of the flooding and um, you know some of the demand issues about um, you know the the supply chain's been disrupted. Uh, you know it's going to cost more to harvest the fruit and vegetables than they're going to be able to even get in in return. So we have this very complicated dynamic for farmers. So the last thing that we need to do is put bureaucracy in the way. And I am on the H2A working group uh, that um, met twice with Secretary Purdue before the pandemic uh, came about in looking, and he's deeply engaged in this, but there's a handful of us in the Senate that are on this working group trying to uh, find a way to not make it so temporary, some of these fixes, fixes that you, you are seeing, but to make them more permanent and clear and remove the uncertainty. Thank you, Senator. Of course. Mr. Clark, Mr. President. Sorry, yeah, my, my internet connection was a little unstable there, but so Senator, I wanna switch over to, to PPP for a minute and we just got the numbers in from SBA that since the 3.5 CARES Act, we've had 64,784 loans to Georgia businesses, much smaller businesses than last time, about $4.6 billion coming into to Georgia businesses. But most common question I have is one that actually came from um, the, uh, the discussion with a small businessman the other night. He was one of the first to get the, the PPP loans in the first round. Uh, he was, you know, midnight, went through, got it, secured the loan. He's yet to use it. And he said he is so worried he can't figure out the red tape, the requirements for a small business like him. He's got maybe 10 employees. He thinks might be too much. And he doesn't know that he really wants to use it. So I'm curious in this next round, phase four, or if there's some other component there, what's the discussion in DC about you know, cutting down some of the red tape that's been layered on uh, to this program, particularly for those small mom and pop companies? Yeah, I mean, that, that is discouraging to hear. And, and also, everyone should know that my office is here to help work through those challenges. If you have challenges working with any federal agency, and we've been working a lot with the SBA, but also uh, Veterans Affairs, making sure that we're working closely with the Veterans Administration to help reduce red tape, uh, immigration, I mean, the, our office is here for that. So please don't hesitate to call us. 
Um, my team uh, has solved a lot of these challenges. But I want to say that I agree. I, the red tape has been discouraging. And early on in the formation of the, the CARES Act, I was concerned uh, how much reliance there was on SBA, not because of the SBA agency itself. They've done tremendous work. Uh, look at the overburdened nature of all of our agencies. I mean, the Georgia Department of Labor has processed in one month more unemployment claims than it has processed in four years. SBA has processed more loans than it's processed in 10 years um, in the space of a month. So, but that's to be expected uh, that there are going to be challenges. I signed on to, uh, I co-sponsored actually legislation that um, is a technical fix where the IRS wanted to tax small businesses or to remove the tax benefit of business expenditures on small businesses. And that's not what this program was designed for. It wasn't designed to give you money on one hand, but you give it back by paying taxes on the other. And um, so we are weeding that out. It's very important that those issues and those areas of uncertainty are brought to my attention because I do have a direct line to these agencies. Uh, Administrator Carranza of the SBA has been very receptive, Secretary Mnuchin. Um, and as we look at future legislation, it's important for me to hear about the areas of uncertainty that you're having so that we can fix it because we are uh, looking to make those technical fixes or, or clarifications because small businesses should not be concerned that uh, using this uh, relief uh, would be a penalty. It, it should provide support for them. And, and that's what I'm fighting for. So Thank you for that. And speaking of that, the technical fixes, or we, we hear a lot of discussions from Leader McConnell now about phase four and what that looks like. And we do appreciate his focus on limiting liability and liability protection, which are in your bill as well. Where do you think we are as far as a phase four and what kind of timeline are you thinking through? Because that liability protection is, I mean, it is the number one issue from our members on every call that we have now. Yeah, you're right, Chris. I mean, the, the need to proactively address this is now. The, the right. challenge is the demands on the other side and, and what, you know, we're getting into this negotiation. Um, you know, they have been quoted as saying this is a chance to fundamentally change and implement their vision for America. Our goal is to restore the strength of our economy. And to not fundamentally change America with, with the provisions in response to coronavirus. And so you see this, the level of negotiation that is, is taking place here. Um, I think it's vitally important that we look at the existing legislation, CARES and CARES 3.5, so that we aren't spending our way into a, a, an equally large problem. But we do need there are pockets of, uh, where we can provide additional assistance, and we've heard it both from uh, Secretary Mnuchin and uh, former Secretary Paulson, that acting now will save us money from acting later. Okay, that's, impo that's important, but where is, that, where is the underserved area? Where is the gap that existed that didn't get met? And let's address that. So I think that is gonna be a, a targeted surgical, looking approach. Um, and uh, we're just going to be, you know, debating that in the coming weeks. 
Um, there's a big discussion about states and you know we all see what's happened in Georgia a billion dollars in April of lost tax, tax revenue and that's not the end of it it's very right. concerning for a state that's been so fiscally uh, careful and respectful of taxpayer dollars and how they spend them other states have not had that approach we don't want Georgia taxpayers uh, bailing out Illinois and New York so this is the negotiation that we're going to be in. Uh, Santiago, I'll let you ask one last question and then make any final comments, and then I will uh, I'll wrap us up, just being conscious of the Senator's time today. I appreciate you. I appreciate that. Thank you, Chris. Um, Senator, in, in terms of um, what, what would you say to business owners, because I'm, I'm hearing a lot of fear of opening their businesses for, for several reasons, right? They want to open their business, but they're afraid uh, because everything that's going on. So if do you have some some tips or, you know, you're a former uh, a business owner yourself. Um, what would you say to these business owners that right now face this uncertain uncertainty? They need the income, but they're not quite ready. They're afraid of opening their businesses. This is a this is a key question. I think what the governor has laid out is an approach that's very much driven on data and guidelines. And so making sure that you have those guidelines and understand them because I think our state has been very receptive to hearing questions, clarifying the guidelines. Um, those, all those decisions have been uh, informed by Dr. Toomey, one of the leading epidemiologists in our country, but we're also thinking about how do we approach opening our businesses with regard to our employees, with regard to our customers. Uh, by the way, there's bills to pay, the rents due. Um, and, and PPP, you know, there's questions around how that gets treated. First of all, please use my office for, for those questions that might relate to the federal government. Please use the resources that the state has made available. Um, the good thing about where we are today in the opening of the economy, everyone expects that this will be gradual, and it should be, because we are learning to live in this new reality. And it's important now that we do take those steps, however, to learn to live in this reality. And, uh, you know, we aren't going to have a, a vaccine for some time. The president has said by year end is what he's hearing from the agencies. So in the meantime, how are we able to go about our lives? And to make sure that we policymakers hear the concerns like, we aren't getting, we don't have sufficient PPE. We don't have sufficient guidelines. We need to know that at the state and federal levels so that we can influence that dialogue. But I think it's important that we start learning to take those measures when the time is right. Obviously shelter in place exists for those over 65 through June. Um, there's no requirement that you open your business, but we understand that people wanna feed their families. They wanna bring back their workers. And, um, you know, we are all in this together trying to find, find our way forward. So um, I just want businesses to know that they have the support, the collaboration, whether it's state and local, federal, but private sector has been tremendous. And uh, I want to just thank all the business owners out there that are making these tough decisions truly on the front lines. I mean, it is, it is a tough situation it's one of of leadership of caring for your neighbor of your, your employees your customers 
And uh, I just want to commend everyone for the work they're, they're doing and the sacrifices that they've made. Thank you so much. Thank you, Santiago. Thank you, Senator. Thank you, Santiago. Um, I appreciate you, A, going back to, to D.C. Uh, and going, putting yourself at risk to do this and for sacrificing and serving our country. We do appreciate it. We appreciate your team. Uh, we've worked with Joan for years and a lot of the, your team members we know and work around the state. So thank you for, for having them available to us through all this. I want to remind you that next Tuesday on this call, we'll have the EPA administrator. I said EPD earlier. I meant the federal EPA. I put on my old DNR hat there for a minute and got confused. So uh, we're going to have them on with us next Tuesday. Look for more information there uh, and continue to visit our gachamber.com slash COVID-19 website. Uh, Senator, we're here to work with you and uh, we'll, we'll be in touch. Thank you for being with us today. Thank all of you and God bless our state. Thank you all. Thank you, Chris. Take care. Yes, ma'am. See you. See you.